Welcome to part two of my talk with Cowie Strong founder, Jim Strasser. I'm Mark Hogesang, the host of Heavy Hitter Sports, the podcast focused on game-changing athletes and business leaders. In part one of this episode, Jim shared his amazing corporate journey, highlighted by leadership roles at LA Gear, Nike, Oakley, Converse, Quicksilver, and Pony. But eight years ago, Jim set out on his own to build a California-centric sports brand with his partner, Jen. Today, we'll learn how Jim used his marketing talent, social media prowess, and survival skills to transform Cowie Strong into one of the coolest sports brands in the game, along with the help of Hall of Fame partners Bill Walton and Andre Reid. Enjoy, sports fans. Eight or nine years ago, you decide you're going to create your own company and develop your own brand. Talk to us about yeah. Cali Strong. It's interesting. People ask me now, they go, so is this your lifelong dream to start a brand? I say, absolutely not. Never even hit my radar. Just steps in your life, opportunities happen. It really was created, they say it's either out of inspiration or desperation, and maybe it was a combination of the two. But really, it was an opportunity that was right in front of us. Rick Mina, who was a CEO of Foot Locker, I had done a lot of partnerships with him, with Nike, with Oakley. And he's, Jim, I want you to come in and help me buy audio. He's buying a skateboard company. I go, why are you buying that company? Okay, whatever. What do you need help with? And I told Rick, I says, if it's not illegal, I'm in. I said, whatever you need help with. He goes, no, I want you to help me. You've acquired a couple companies and you've seen this before. I said, no problem. I can do that. And audio is a, a really core, authentic skateboard company. So after I was president of audio, he asked me to take over Bob Marley brand, which was never on my radar. What are we going to do with Bob Marley? Again, you get into some things that, that you don't see from your vantage point. And I had to go build a whole product line around Bob Marley. And I understood it once I get into it. Now I'm CEO of these two brands and we had some great things going on. Again, I had partners come in and go, you know what? We're going to move all this back to New York. And I'm just a, a hired consultant at this time. I, I was in it for a year. And again, I made a lot of changes. I let the sales force go again, brought in new people, new product, new marketing direction. So I'd already done this now three times. And it's different when you have partners that are not as dedicated as you are, because in the turnaround of a brand, all the work happens in the first year. That's when you have to lay the foundation and you're saying, we're going to be this and we're not going to be that. And you're really choosing your direction of your company. And the direction usually comes obviously with people. Then you got to start with the product and what's your marketing story and obviously all the operations and behind the scenes. I knew that when I got involved, that it potentially could be a short-term gig. And sure enough, it was. They moved everything back to New York. During that time, they were like, okay, Jim, you can do this and you can distribute some of my products. And that's what took me into the military. I had a friend of mine. He said, hey, they're looking for local brands in the military. So I'm in there and I'm selling Bob Marley. I'm selling audio. Then I was bringing some other brands in there for them. I had, I started buying distressed products and putting them in there. And then I'm looking at it. I go, I have this great opportunity to put our own brand in. I knew that this thing was going to end. And so Jen and I are over in Berlin. We're at the international trade show with audio. We knew that the party was going to probably end soon. And we're like, you know, we should start our own brand. What would we do? And we ended up starting it with another name called Edge because you got four letter words. That's what sells in our industry. But I wanted to do a very California centric brand. We had actually had serious conversations to move Converse to San Diego. It would have done amazing things for the brand because we were very West Coast driven. That's what ignited Converse again. We got it hot on the West Coast. It got hot in surf and skate. It got hot with Hollywood and the celebrity crowd. Once it was popping in California, it went across the country. And that's usually how it worked. It's either coming from New York or it's coming from California. 
but California to me is a bigger influence for most brands. I, I, I did my homework on this and I really, we talked about moving commerce there. It just, it was happening so fast. There was no way we could make that move. But I looked at it and said, I didn't understand why there wasn't a sports company based in the Mecca of sports. There's, there's more athletes that come out of Southern California than anywhere in the country. Right. But all, all the brands are in you know, Portland, Boston, now Baltimore. There's, there's really nothing out here in California. So I was like, let's, let's start a California-centric brand, base it around authentic sports. But we have to do some really cool things. And when you're a startup brand, you've got to do everything. You're the warehouse guy. You're the CEO. You're the, the IT guy. Whatever it is, got to do it all. And that's a different situation than I had been in because I had been running brands. I always had big teams with me. And it's a lot easier, to be honest with you, to do that. But I chose to get into it. And once we started into the military with our products, it sold. And I'm like, okay, this is pretty interesting. because, And that's why I tell anybody who wants to start a brand, you have to test it out. You can have the greatest idea in your own mind. It doesn't mean anything until the consumers embrace it. So we have an opportunity to be in a store that does $100 million a year. The, the military, their, their number two store in the country is at 32nd Street. And it's just a beast. They do so much business out of there. And it was like a laboratory. And you got consumers walking in of all ages from all over the world. And I'm like, we could start a real brand here and use it as a as an incubator. So once we did that one store, all the other stores say, hey, we want to, we want you over here. And can you come up to Oxnard? Can you go over here to NAB? And so we got real deep into the military. The great thing about it is we had people from all over the world wearing our products. They all knew yeah. that it was only available in the military. When we opened up our first store, some of the military guys were mad. They thought it was the military exclusive. And it's really a cool foundation for our brand. You don't have your own retail flagship store at this point. You go directly through the Navy? Only through the Navy. So we literally tested the market. And then all of a sudden, they're giving me concept areas. So now I've got a whole concept shop right next to Nike, Under Armour, Quicksilver, yeah. the biggest brands in the world. And I'm competing. So I'm like, okay, we got something. To me, it's all about testing it. I, I come from your world. I'm in sales. It doesn't mean anything until it sells. You yeah, can, yeah, we can yeah. dream it. We can think it and go, this is the greatest thing. If the consumers don't buy it, you really don't have it. And so it's all about the end result. Once we did that, it was like, this is working. Of course, the challenges get deeper because now it might be working at level one. Is it going to work at level two, level three, level four as you grow? We've been able to test and, and move quickly. That's the advantage of being small, but we have a really big footprint. And once we did the Navy stores for a few years, we were like, we started doing the Del Mar Fair, which is a huge event. So we just wanted to be, I call it hunter retail. We take our products out to the people and I'm not a retailer. I'm a brand guy. At this point though, consumer direct brands are exploding. I'm like, we need to be on this trend because we don't need a retailer to validate our brand. Although we did go talk with Tilly's at one time and we were going to do a partnership with them and it didn't turn out. And it was actually better that it didn't turn out. They would have mirrored up to us pretty well, but it was better for us to just focus on what we do in our consumer. And that's the luxury you have today. That's as the big brands, look, Nike's getting ready to go consumer direct. They're already doing everything they can to, to do internet sales and more brand sales. And everybody can see that. They still have their wholesale relationships, but look at Lululemon. They they tried to go wholesale. They got burned and it was a blessing in disguise because now they're pretty much 100% consumer direct. So there's big brands that have been built direct to consumer. It's harder because now you have to talk to the consumer directly. You can't go do a deal with a retailer. But we did. We looked at Tilly's and we had a great meeting with them, like an all-day meeting. We were only going to go in there if they bought all categories from us. We're the first brand in the industry. It starts with footwear. We started with apparel. 
all accessories and we do equipment is we make our own skateboards right here in town. We also do custom bikes. We do really unique product. I'd say we're a, a specialty brand like Supreme because we're so exclusive and we do really rare products, but we're a sports brand. I built this thing like a Nike, like an Under Armour, like a, an Adidas. And we may never be the biggest brand in the world. We may not even be in the competition game of that, but I just wanted to be an authentic sports brand that did things a little different, that gave back, that contributed locally. Our, our biggest thing that we do is give back to kids and, and we try to focus on organizations that are positive influences on kids. And so to me, that's the best thing you can do. We do things a lot different than what most brands do. Like when we opened up our first store, which was probably four years ago, so four years into our development, we opened up stores. And to be honest with you, I, we were just opening up a temporary store. I didn't know if we could even handle a store. I didn't know if we had enough product and, and it worked. And then we kept evolving, but we did things different because we're the only company that does retail entertainment. We do football, basketball, cornhole in our stores where you can interact with the consumers. They've never experienced anything like this. So when they buy, they get a chance at one of our free games. And if they don't want to, I call it the non-impact, they can spin the wheel and, and win a prize. We do things different. So every product in our store, when you buy it, you get a free pair of socks. So if you buy six shirts, you get six pairs. You buy one of our skateboards, you get a free pair of our shoes and socks. We're a direct consumer brand. So our margins are huge. We entice them with other items and all of a sudden, people are like, I've never seen anything like this. Because one, it's a great experience. Like I had one girl come in by 31 items. She walked out with 31 socks. She bought every sock we had in doubles or something. And she's like, this is great. It's like Christmas again. And then, you, oh, you got to play the games afterward. And people come back over and over again just to interact with our games. They can win up to a free skateboard. What this sounds like is just a fun retail experience. And I think some of it's that like, fun it, has been stripped away from retail. You've also had to be doubly creative during this pandemic era. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things that you've done to push forward? The pandemic could have killed us, but we knew it wouldn't. So we we're like, okay, we're going to just fight through this. We had to close for those first two months or whatever it was, three months. When we opened, we were like, you know what? We're going to be, we're embracing it. We kill people with kindness. We're like Nordstrom. We're over the top with help. But we also said, we're going to make this experience so different. We have the retail games. Then we started doing concerts every Saturday night. And so all the local bands, nobody had any place to play. So I had a, a friend of mine introduce me to a guy who's an artist for all these bands. And he's a literally a painting artist. Al Scholl, he comes in, he goes, hey, you mind if I bring some bands? First, we started one guy. Then the next thing you know, we have full-on bands in front of our store. Every Saturday night, we did concerts through the pandemic, and we do them outside. We'd get a few complaints. The police would come almost every week, and they knew they they said it was from five to eight o'clock at night. They go, we can't shut you down because it's not a noise thing until ten o'clock. They're like, it's really nice to hear light music. It was cool. So we had literally had security because the police were always there because somebody would complain, they had to respond. But we had the best bands in San Diego, and we were the only place that had music because all the bars were shut down, all the restaurants were shut down and we're running this retail store even the restaurants around us were shut down we're the only place open it was a great experience and it kept us alive to be honest with you Marcus we did so much business during that that one the day because all those bands would bring their members in their, their friends and family and they would come in and buy from us so it got a lot of new customers into our stores they would say I was saving art and music in San Diego yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool and I'm like no I'm just trying to save my business but thank you for giving me that compliment yeah. it, it was an amazing time we did it like 40 straight weeks during the pandemic once everything started lifting the band started getting bigger gigs we started having less concerts at that point but that's what got us through the pandemic and something that you do podcasts so we were like hey we have to diversify so we started opening up podcasts so i found 10 podcasts i haven't released them yet but i did my i guess they call it season one so i respect what you're doing because it's a lot of work and i love it though it, it, it's actually very engaging my podcast is about branding and business and i've got tremendous people i got some ceos of companies and obviously some athletes 
we have access to a lot of people. But the 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 bigger work for me is behind the scenes, taking the content and tweaking it and developing it and where you're going to put it and all that. So we haven't done that. We have so many projects and we have so few hands that it's one of those things where I'm like, I just told my partner, Jen, we have to get back on this podcast. We already have 10 already filmed. We just haven't released it. I've released snippets of it on LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever. But it, And so people have seen it, but they haven't seen the full show. So I know yeah. how much work it is. It is. But you've done so many creative things on the social media front. And a lot of that has been at the handiwork of Jen, your partner. Some of the videos that you've put out are exceptional. We talked before we got on live here about some of the personalities that have represented Kelly Strong. We're talking about Jamie Foxx, Dr. J, Marcus Allen, Lauren Moon, Jeff George, Barry Bonds. The list goes on. And part of this too is you have some fascinating business partners. One of those is one of my favorite athletes of all time growing up here in Portland and helping us bring the championship in 77. And that's Bill Walton. Now I have to assume he is just an exceptional partner to have for so many different reasons. Is there a story or two that you can share along the lines of working with Bill? Yes, it's great. Bill is, I never understood quite why Bill and I had such a great relationship. And I'll tell you how we met and then it it, it explains it. So Bill, when he had all kinds of problems, he had to quit ESPN because he had terrible back problems. We know he's had injuries his whole life. Bill was always one of my heroes. Growing up, I loved UCLA basketball, even from, from Omaha. So when I meet Bill, I'm interviewing him. That's how we met. We met at one of my friend's houses. We're interviewing Bill to be on the board of the, what we call the San Diego Sports Innovators. It's an organization in town that helps develop companies and also helps them get ready for financing. So we were like interviewing Bill to be our chairman. Of course, you'd want to have Bill on your team because he's like the the biggest celebrity in San Diego and he's like a, a local icon. And Bill could hardly move. I remember after we got up off the table, he was walking so slow back to the car. And my other guy uh, says to me, he goes, what do you think? I go, of course we want Bill. I says, can he physically do it? I didn't realize at the time he had just had radical back surgery. So he had what all kinds of things going on in his back. He couldn't get off the ground. Literally told me, he goes, he was laying on the floor for almost a year at a time. He would eat off the floor. He was in such pain. And he goes, I wanted to commit suicide. I didn't want to live anymore. And he goes, so you gave me a hand up. So he looks at me as one of those guys that gave him a hand up. And it was just an amazing thing. It's, it's Bill Walton. Are you kidding me? I'm honored to be part of Bill's life. And he's sitting there going, no, you gave me the hand up when I really needed it. That's, you, that's you, amazing. You brought and you, me back to the game. You make me flash back to a story involving Bill Walton. So I believe at the time he is announcing for ESPN and my son and I are at a Blazer game at ends and he wants to hang around and get Bill's autograph because he's a huge fan. I bet you at this point, there are no more than a couple hundred people left in the arena. Right. And Walton is so gracious. My son asked for his autograph and Bill's so nice, so gracious. And to the point you made, oh my goodness, he could barely move, but you wouldn't have known it in how nice he was to my son at right. that time. And I was like, what an exceptional individual. Cause at this point he's done with the game. He can just pick up, leave, get out of there, right. but he just has a loyalty to his fan base. And then the yeah. other really cool business partner that you've got is one of my favorite NFL all-time Hall of Famers. And that's Andre Reed. Can you talk about that relationship? as well? Yeah, that was great. We met uh, Andre at our first event with Bill. One of my friends brought him and his girlfriend at the time, now fiance, Teresa Villano. They came to the party. And so I 
we had a really intimate group. I literally text everybody to for invites. It was about 50, 60 people, business people. They're all champions. I had world champion boxers and all these different athletes. It was an amazing group. So I make everybody talk and tell the crowd who they are. So everybody knows who to connect to. And uh, put a hand off the phone to Andre Reed. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, who invited Andre Reed? That's cool. Because I personally invited everybody by text. So from that one meeting, we became you know great friends with both him and Teresa does our PR and events. She's one of the best. I call her the best in the business. She is phenomenal. She is just an amazing person at what she does. And her and my partner, Jen, are like sisters. They just hit it off and they have a huge give back spirit to them. We started doing give back with Andre and Teresa right from the get-go. We're helping families out in East San Diego. Andre's a national spokesperson for Boys and Girls Club of America as a Read for Read program. So we support that in a big way. So Teresa works with us putting on events and does our PR. We're just personal friends. We just celebrated Andre's birthday here last week. And it's just, it's an amazing relationship. But what they've done with us is we're an anomaly. Teresa has mostly Hall of Fame athletes and current players. A lot of NFL. She does some basketball and other athletes. And she does PR and things. You know, actually, she works with 43 athletes, but 15 are her core folks. And they have access to a lot of things. So they go to a lot of events and they're like, hey, why don't you guys come with us? And so they give us access to all kinds of things. And that opens the door for us to do the I Am Kelly Strong videos. They open the door and they don't have to babysit us. Like when we go to press row, it's an amazing thing because you get behind the curtain, so to speak. But when you show up and you're at an event, you're with all of Famer and they hear that they're involved with you, you get their attention. And the same thing with Bill. We're honored to have them involved with us. And they're just good friends of our brand, but we also make them owner partners with us. Again, we talk strategies with them. And both those guys are very intelligent in business. Bill, he, he's a chairman of the, the sports innovators here in San Diego. And he, he sees a lot of things. He was UCLA and then he was law school up at uh, Stanford before he dropped out and started playing again. And Andre and Teresa are phenomenal people for us to just talk about products, talk about strategy. And so they're the combination for us to introduce us to a number of people. And then once we got involved with them, we get involved, we, we do Marcus Allen's charity tournament every year. We do Charlie Hoffman, PGA players. So we meet a lot of golfers through Charlie, through Teresa. We go to Marcus Williams uh, football camp. So we like to give back to kids. So we do Marcus Williams from the, the Saints. We do uh, Corey Littleton is one of her clients. And Corey Littleton, i be honest with you, I wasn't even familiar with Corey. Tell Teresa said, you got to go to this event. You know, like, oh my gosh, the guy's making $15 million a year starting linebacker for Oakland. And he's a great guy. I met him before I even did my homework on him. And it was he's a tremendous kid. So we like dealing with the obviously the OGs, but we also get introduced to a lot of the current players. Same thing. We do Jeff Garcia's camps. We met him through Andre. We're talking a lot about football and basketball. You've also got a really heavy imprint in the MMA world, the we surf do. world, obviously by virtue of being here in San Diego. So that's amazing. Yeah, we get a lot of good kids in skate, surf. You wouldn't call us like when people come in, we sell skateboards. So people just assume we're a skate brand. I, I say we're not. Although we make great skateboards because I call ourselves a sports brand, mm-hmm. which is an anomaly. And because most time action sports, I know no, no, you're either action sports or your team sports. I want to be both. I remember like one weekend we sponsored an MMA event with Epic Fighting here in town. We went to Bill Walton's. He was dedicating a Grateful Dead court in San Diego. We went to Corey Littleton's camp. We went across all these different genres. I said, this is a perfect weekend for this brand. And that was what we wanted to do was be authentic to the athlete across whatever sport they were in. We do have 
have world champion surfers. We do have skaters. We have a lot of people. We have a lot of MMA guys. We have a lot of fighters. Chris Bird is a, is a friend of our brand, two-time heavyweight champ. Paul Vaden is the only boxing champ in San Diego, good friend of ours. The fact that they're involved with Cali Strong is just, it's an, it's an amazing thing. So I think people, they like the message that we give out. They like the feeling that we give out. We're about the community. They know we're authentic to the sport or to the activity. We're here to give back. That's And that's Jen's real strategy. Jen doesn't need this. She doesn't need to work. She just has fun doing this. Her whole thing is build a business that has everybody involved as an owner. She said she was going to develop that when she was 16. Little did she know <laughs> that she would do a sports company. I'm curious on the brand front, how state pride factors into this, or if it does or not. You talk about community and obviously being authentic to the sports that you're connected to, but with a name like Kelly Strong, your thoughts on that front? Yeah, you'll love this. So so uh, my partner, Jen, hates the word Cali. <laughs> she hates the word Cali. I go sit down with Bill. I said, Bill, I want you to get, he goes, I'll get involved with everyone. I'm, I've got questions for you. Jeff, we call it California. We don't call it Cali. I go, okay, Bill. I says, I only hear that from people over 50. <laughs> I said, that's okay. The kids call it Cali. I, I just listen to the marketplace. And he goes, okay, all right, I got it. I got it. So now you'll hear Bill say he's Cali strong. I'm sitting there going, yeah. I, I, I always look at him and laugh. Go, yeah, is it California? You know, and well, so- I'm- I'm with Bill and Jen on this one too. Initially, yeah. I was like, by ver- although I live here in Portland, I was born in San Francisco and I think of yeah. myself on some level as a Californian and went to college in Los Angeles as well. So there was that kind of resistance, but you have done such a great job of building that brand and making it cool and having it endorsed by personalities of all forms, right. in particular athletes that I've broken down and now I'm into it. And I told you before, <laughs> Well, it, I, it, it, I've ordered it, it, a couple it, of the teas, so I'm going to wrap. I'm no Marcus it. Allen, but I'll do the best I can. I love it. Yeah. So it was more about, less about, just about California. We looked at it as a California-centric brand, but we have consumers that buy it from all around the, the sure. world. Yep. And it, for the military, we get people coming all over the place. And then same thing with our store. We're, we have a flagship store in downtown San Diego. We have tourists from all over the world that come through there almost every day. We're 50 steps in the water. We're in the number one tourist place in San Diego. And it's a brand store in the middle of this tourist environment. So we have a lot of new people that get introduced to it. Now, either people buy because they associate it with California. That's great. But at the end of the day, it's really not about just California. It's about building a California-centric brand that has that West Coast attitude that people can, you know, I have people in Texas that wear it. Now, there's also people that say, I would never wear that because I don't like California. And that's okay, too. You need some people that that don't like you if you're going to do anything good. So you can't win everybody over. I was going to say, if you don't have people hating you, then you're not taking a big stand, right? So as a brand, you're going one direction or the other, and you're not going to get everybody to follow you. So as we wrap up here, are there any final thoughts on that brand building front that you wanted to share some things that we may not have touched on today? Not really. I just, I think a lot of people ask me like, why did you do a brand and, and what's the best way to start a brand and all that? I still deal with a lot of entrepreneurs and really it's have a strategy, have a message that you're consistent with, and then just go test the market. I'm a consumer guy. Like Jen does a lot of our designs and and I'm like, Jen, okay, we're going to try glow in the dark ink that has never been done before. And I'm like, all right, I'll test it out. The consumers embrace it. I'm into it. Now I'm the biggest fan of glow in dark ink because I know it's a proven winner. That's my whole thing. You have to go prove your concepts, not just live in some dream world of design and hope and pray that it works. So even though I always work on product at all companies, I've always been product focused, but you have to deal in the reality of business. Does it sell? And if it doesn't sell, then you have to say it's a great idea and nobody liked it. That's the main thing. Test the waters. 
And that takes you to the next steps. Awesome. Well, to end on that, Jim, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun and I've learned a lot. Thank you for sharing about your own personal corporate and then entrepreneurial journeys and uh, really appreciate catching up with you yet again. Mark, I appreciate it. Come down to San Diego sometime. Let me know when you're down. Thank you. We'll do. Take care. We'll have you doing those basketball shots. See you. (laughs) Take care. Bye. Thanks for joining Jim and I today. If you're new to the show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you can catch all future episodes. And if you feel so inclined, please leave a favorable rating to help me build my audience. I'll leave you with Jim's favorite power song from a band that also is continually reinventing itself. In fact, nearly 50 years after debuting on stage in their home country of Australia, ACDC is yet again contending for a Grammy this year. Absolutely amazing. Coincidentally, my next episode actually features the music of ACDC. I'll be using their most notable songs to introduce my personal list of sports grievances. I'll be ranting about the things that have angered me the most during the past month in sports, including the IOC, FIFA, and the NFL. Until then, sports fans, here's the iconic Thunderstruck. Thunderstruck.